So turn, turn to the book of John, chapter 21. That's where we're going to be uh, tonight and camping out, spending most of our time. Um, we, we've been talking over these last few weeks about our core values as a church. And uh, our core values are simply the five marks of a disciple. Those are the things that we value here at Summit Church. And a passion for Jesus, um, a passion for Jesus, knowledge of the scriptures, community, uh, relationships, walking in community, living in community, um, uh, a heart for the lost, and then life on life discipleship, generations, legacy. And that's really what Summit Church was birthed on. We were birthed out of a passion for discipleship. We had a group of people 2.1 miles down the road, didn't we, Lois? And, uh, and, and, and young in their faith and kind of, uh, you know, all of that. And then we had a group of people here um, uh, that were more seasoned in their faith, right? And, uh, and, and we merged not to become this big megachurch, because that's far from what we are, right? But we merged so that we could be a family, a legacy of disciples, right? So we had Jordan Cram here this morning, and we had others that um, are, are, are out of our church, right, that are going and making disciples down at UConn and, and other places, and, and that's really the legacy that Summit Church is, 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 is praying, and that's our vision to build, right? And so as we talk about this, and as we launch into the next three weeks of really talking about life-on-life discipleship, I wrestled with how to start this, Right, because the last the last thing I think we need right now is another is kind of another pitch on how the on how important discipleship is, right? On how important life on life ministry is, on how important it is to spur one another on to love and good works, how important it is to equip the saints for every good work, how important discipleship is, right? Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, right? And we may get to some of those things in the next couple weeks, but I felt like to start, there was a message, there was a heartbeat that we really needed to get after when it came to discipleship. Because the mission, the co-mission from Jesus to the disciples before he resurrected into heaven, was go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. That's the course. That's the mission of the body of Christ, right? Here's the issue that I feel for us tonight, is that we can't take someone to a place that we're not going ourselves. We can't take someone to a place that we're not going ourselves. And so to, tonight, I want to talk about the course of the mission. Where are we at? Where are you at personally? And, that, and, and so we're going to kind of have a, I think the crowd's appropriate. I do feel a little far from you for this type of message. But tonight, I want us to have a family discussion of where we're at. Because I think there's some questions that we need to ask ourselves. And I think there's some things that we need to address tonight. Sound good? So to start that off, there's a story you've probably heard, right? A captain of a ship looked into the dark night and saw a light in the distance. And immediately, he sent out a signal, uh, alter your course 10 degrees south. He received a reply pretty quickly, you need to alter your course 10 degrees north. Now this infuriated the captain, and so the furious captain sent another message, alter your course 10 degrees south, I am a captain. Soon another reply was received, alter your, ten, your course 10 degrees north, 
I'm a seaman, third class Jones. The captain sent a final message, alter your course 10 degrees south, I'm a battleship. The reply was, alter your course 10 degrees north, I'm a lighthouse. <laughs> and I'm not moving, right? I'm a lighthouse, and I'm not moving. So there's, there, there's, there's something that, I don't know the source of that, right? It, the source is unknown. It's found in multiple books and, 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 and places for, for illustrations and things like that. So when you tell the story later this week, you can just give me credit. Um, but uh, there are certainly times when, when we think about the course that we're on, there's certainly times that we need to alter our course, isn't there? Right? Unforeseen circumstances, things happen, right? We've got to alter our course. Then there are times when our course has been changed for us, right? Like, like last weekend, we had, we had Russ here preaching, and Micah and I were up at Mount Katahdin. How many of you have ever been to Mount Katahdin? Okay, a few of you, a few of you, right? So some of you that have been to Mount Katahdin, you know that at the base of the mountain, there's kind of three parts to, to Mount Katahdin. There's the base of the mountain called Roaring Brook, right? That's the side we were on. There's a back side of the mountain that has a bunch of other trails and stuff like that. But we were, we were at Roaring Brook, and, and, uh, and then there's Chimney Pond, and then there's the summit, right? And so Chimney Pond is 3.3 miles from the parking lot. And so we set out in the morning, and it was raining, right? Raining, pouring down rain. Great day for hiking, right? With your 11-year-old daughter, right? And um, we had some other kids with us, some other adults. Our whole group was nine of us in this hiking group. We had 28 of us total, but, but nine of us that were setting out. We were trying to summit. We had one goal in mind. In fact, Micah set this goal back Last year, probably about a year ago, when she found out she was getting this fifth grade teacher and knew we would be going to Mount Katahdin this June, she had one goal in mind, and that was to summit. She wanted to get to the top of this mountain. That was her mission that was on her mind, and she wanted to do it by going the hardest possible trail and trying to put a daddy through as much pain as she possibly could, right? I was convinced that I was getting off that mountain on a helicopter, which would have been fine with me because it would have been a lot quicker and easier, right? But the pain I would have been in in the process probably wouldn't have been as fun, right? But, but anyway, mention that we started out, it was raining, but a lot can change in 3.3 miles. It takes you about two hours to get the 3.3 miles to Chimney Pond. We got to Chimney Pond, right? I go up to the ranger at the station and I say, okay, what does it look like? What are our chances of summiting? And she looked back at me and she said, well, sir, on a scale of one to 10, as far as danger, today's an eight. And so I can't tell you not to go, but I highly recommend that you don't go. And she said, you've got about an hour and a half before you need to be turned around and heading back down the mountain. And so I got together with the other parents, looked at the kids, and Micah's like, Daddy, we can make it to the top in an hour and a half. And I said, Micah, yeah, we could probably make it to the top in an hour and a half, but we're not getting back down in an hour and a half. It's just not going to happen today, bud. And we were, looking at, we were looking at the other parents, and the other parents were looking at me, and they were saying, you know, Travis, what do you think we should do? And I said, well, the fun parent in me says, let's go for it. The weather can shift. The weather can turn right? But the responsible parent in me says, 
we've got to turn around and go down this mountain. And the responsible parent went out that day. So we turned around and went down that mountain. And all afternoon, we heard God moving furniture all over the place in heaven. That's what we called thunder when I was growing up, that God was moving furniture. And, uh, and who knows what the weather would have been like on the top of that mountain, but we were safe in our tent, and it rained at our campsite for about 25 seconds. And Micah was so mad, she stomped her foot in our tent, and she said, Daddy, we could have made it to the top. But our course was altered for us, right? For good reason. Because we could have gotten up there, and we could have been in a world of trouble, right? Who knows what would have happened, right? And for some of us, our course has been altered for us. Unforeseen circumstances and finishing that degree, uh, unforeseen financial burden, unforeseen relationship stru- struggles and troubles, right? For some of us, our course has been altered for us or altered in some way. But then thirdly, there are, there are other times where we need to hammer down and stay the course, where we need to hammer down and stay the course. There are certainly times where, where, where even when it doesn't make sense to other people, to outsiders, right, we need to stay the course that God has called us to. Amen? And, 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 and that's what we pick up with here in John chapter 21. I want to read the whole passage to you, then we're going to come back and take it bit by bit, and then I'm going to tell you what God put on my heart on Thursday down in Saco. And I'm telling you, God can work anywhere. If He can work in Saco, He's still alive and moving. Okay? But John chapter 21, starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed Himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and He revealed Himself in this way. In this way. And so this is the third time that Jesus is revealing himself to the disciples post-resurrection. Verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord, right? Who is the disciple whom Jesus loved? Quick pop quiz. John. John. Good job. Pat yourselves on the back. Snaps. Okay. It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off, about a football field distance off. Verse 9, when they got on the land, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them, give or take, right? Did they really count? No. Anyway, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus revealed to the, was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. 
He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you wherever you, where, carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And Peter saw him. He said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. When discouragement comes, it's easy to retreat to the familiar, isn't it? When discouragement comes, it's easy to retreat to the familiar. Now, I want you to imagine this picture. I want you to imagine where Peter and the disciples were in this moment, what they had seen in just previous days, right? They had, they had seen the one that they left their nets, right, to follow, um, um, be captured, right? They had seen him beaten. They had seen him crucified. They had seen him buried, right? And now he is revealing himself. And, 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 and they, had, they had been through emotion, right? They had been through trauma. No doubt there was fear among them. They were kind of trying to hide out because who was next, right? And if, and if rumor got out and, and word got out that these guys had, had been associated with Jesus, maybe they were next, right? And, and, and so in the moment of heightened emotion, in the moment of heightened fear and confusion and, 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 and not knowing what to do, not clear direction, right? They went back to what was familiar, fishing. Now, disclaimer, okay? Because we're going to talk about this quite a bit tonight, okay? We're going to talk about this quite a bit tonight. It's summer, so nobody has bedtimes and curfews and all that. We've got all the time in the world to dive into this and dig into this, right? Right? Um, Quick disclaimer, there's a difference, there's a difference between a weekend fishing retreat with the guys and going back to your occupation, right? So like a lot of commentators try to say, give, give Peter a break here, right? He's just going on a weekend fishing trip trying to regather his head here, right? Not true. Peter is diving back into his previous occupation. He's going back into fishing. He's saying, you know what? I tried the, I tried the follow me thing. I tried to drop your nets and I'll make you fishers. Man, I tried that thing, right? It didn't work for me. Jesus got on the, you know, the one I was following was killed. He was buried. He's not around anymore. So, so all of that's kind of, I'm going back to what's familiar. I'm going back to what's comfortable. I'm going back to what's comfortable. And he had, he had quite the routine, right? He had quite the routine. And so I'm not saying, right, that if this was a, if this was a, if this was a weekend, right, fishing trip, we, we, we've all got to unplug, right? And we've got to, all got to go do something that fills us, right? I unplugged last weekend and I went to Mount Katahdin and played on a mountain and chased thunder with Micah, right? I mean, we all do those things that fill us. And I came home, had breakfast at Dice Arts on Father's Day. What better Father's Day is that, right? If you've never been to Dice Arts, I question your mainhood, okay? Um, but anyway, um, anyway, 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 right? Uh, so, so there's a difference between that, right, and abandoning the call, right? There's a difference between a weekend fishing trip and abandoning the call, 
right? And so, and so you think about Peter's life and routine before Jesus called him to come follow what was predictable and secure. His life and routine before Jesus, mend the nets, keep the boat maintained, go fishing, take the catch to the market, repeat. And what the disciples were doing here in John 21, after the crucifixion of Jesus and the burial of Jesus, is they were abandoning their mission and going back to fishing. They were abandoning their mission and going back to fishing. And can you imagine the tension of fishing all night and catching nothing? Cast and pull, nothing. Cast and pull, nothing. Try the other side of the boat, nothing. Move the boat, nothing. Cast a little deeper, nothing. Cast a little more shallow, nothing. And absolutely nothing was going right. They weren't catching any fish. My question for you tonight is, have you ever been in a situation like that? Where everything you touch is breaking. Where everything, where everything is going wrong, right? Where you're just upsetting all of the people around you and absolutely nothing is going right. You try one course, right? And it, and it, and it falls and crumbles, crumbles all around you. That's the situation the disciples were in, right? They're going back to fishing and catching nothing. They're going back to what was familiar and comfortable and they're catching nothing. And then Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up and says from the shore. Now, they're about a football field away, 100 yards, right? So you imagine a football field, one end to the other, right? The disciples are in one end zone, Jesus is in the other end zone. Hey, have you caught anything? The disciples say, no. Cast your net on the other side. Try the other side. Now, you know what Jesus is doing here, right? What's he doing? He's sparking their memory of what? Of when they met. Oh, snaps. Good job. Good job. If you go to Luke 5, we see Peter's original call from Jesus. On the occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, right? And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. What a beautiful picture. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Sound familiar? But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And so here in John chapter 21, what Jesus is doing is he's sparking their memory of the original time that they called him. He's reminding them of their original call to follow him. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And what happened? 
when, when they cast their nets on the other side and they got 153 fish. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which I love how John refers to himself all throughout the story, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Like, humility much? Right? Like, I mean, just, whoo! Right? The disciple whom Jesus loved taps Peter on the shoulder and says, it is the Lord. Mark, throw up verse 7. Throw up verse 7. See, we don't, we don't make enough of this. We don't make enough of this, right? We, we, we read the words in Scripture, but sometimes we miss the punctuation, okay? You see this? It is the Lord, exclamation mark. What's that mean? He's saying it with enthusiasm. John has now woken up to the fact that Jesus is alive, and he's on the shore, and he's calling us again to fish. Not for fish, but for men. And that's huge, church. Because when the going gets tough, right, when the going gets tough, we like to go back to what's familiar. And the Lord is on the shore saying, hey, hey, guys, I'm right here. Come back. Let's have some breakfast together. Let's talk about your next mission, right? Come back. See, here's the deal. Fishing, fishing wasn't bad. For Peter. Right? I mean, fishing wasn't bad for Peter. Again, we all need things. We all need things that we can be engaged in and involved in that fill our tanks. Right? We all, we all need those things. But when a good thing, when a good thing replaces the best thing, it becomes a bad thing. When a good thing replaces the best thing, it becomes a bad thing. And what Peter was doing was he's going back to fishing Right? He's going back to fishing right, to replace his call of fishing for men. And, and Jesus comes and says, hey, come guys. Come back. Come back. Cast on the other side. Come back. Let's have breakfast. And John says, it is the Lord. You know my prayer for you this, this evening? It's been my prayer for all of our services since Thursday. Is that we have an it is the Lord moment. It is the Lord moment. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't shared this in the, in the two other services. I was called to ministry when I was 16. And, and uh, when I was 19, I was, I was trying to run from my call. I was trying to run from God altogether. Wanted nothing, wanted nothing to do with, with ministry, with God, nothing. And, and, and I went to a church. I went to a church down in North Carolina. I say I went to a church, right? My mom served at the church. She worked at the church. And so I went to the church because my parents went to the church, right? And, and it was the type of church where we had Sunday morning service, Sunday night service, Wednesday night service. They were all different, right? And, uh, and Sunday night service would get a little rowdy, right? More music, right? The people who really wanted to be there. The pastor would definitely bring a sweat rag on Sunday night, right? Especially in the middle of summer. And, uh, and, and my mom came to me one Sunday afternoon and she said, hey, we've got a guest preacher at church tonight, and I think you should come with me. Dad's not coming, you know, nobody else is coming, so I want you to come with me to church tonight. And um, I said, I'm not really sure. She's like, I'll take you to dinner after. 19-year-old <laughs> kid. Free food. I'm in, right? I'm in. So, go to church with my mom that Sunday night. I don't remember the guest preacher's name. I don't remember what the message was about. I was sitting 
as far in the back as I could left. Mad because I was there, didn't want to be there, and all I was dreaming about was the outback state that I was going to make my mama get me when we left church. But that pastor said one thing. He said, there's never too much water under the bridge for your calling. Come back to Jesus. And I started weeping. I never got that stake. Because God gripped my heart that night and said, hey, stop trying to run from what I've called you to do. Embrace what I've called you to do. We all have things we're familiar with. We all have things we're good at. We all have things we could do. Right? Different things. Right? Some of you can look at a computer and fix it just by looking at it. Right? While others of us want to take a baseball bat to the same computer. Right? Some of you can get under the hood of a car and diagnose issues immediately while other, others of us look under the car and have no idea what we're looking at. Some of us can shoot jump shots. Some of us can hit baseball. Some of us can take care of kids in ways that others can't. Some of us can preach. Some of us can teach. Some of us can pray. Some of, you get the point, right? We all have things we're familiar with. And sometimes those things can be used for the glory of God, but sometimes they can be used out of their familiarity to keep us from serving for the glory of God. It's the Lord. John taps Peter on the shoulder and says, It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And two miracles happened here. Right? Two miracles happened. Um, number one, 153 fish. Right? 153 fish. A huge catch. Spoken like a true fisherman. Right? That was the first miracle. Second miracle. Their net was so full, but it didn't break. And so then you, 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 we see them come to land. The charcoal fire. Right? The charcoal fire. Jesus saying, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Come have breakfast. Jesus is reminding Peter of the time when they were sitting around at supper and saying, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's saying, no, I'll never, I'll never do that. I'll never do that. Right? And then we get down to verse 15, where Jesus says, when they finished breaking bread, excuse me, when they finished breakfast, right? Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Valid question. And we talked just a couple months ago about how Jesus restores, right? And how this was Peter's restoration. And Jesus asks him three times, right? In order to restore him three times, right? In order to restore him three times. Because Peter had abandoned all and left it behind to follow Jesus. And now Peter was abandoning his, abandoning his call to return to his old way of life before being called by God. So Peter, do you love me more than these fish? It was a bigger question. Do you love me more than your business? Do you love me more than your boats? Do you love me more than your nets? Do you love me more than your fish? Do you love me more than being in charge of your own life? And I want you to see as Jesus goes down and asks him, 
feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. This is not Jesus offering a contract over to Peter for negotiation. See, Jesus always obliges obedience. And Jesus wants to see where Peter's heart is, right? Jesus wants Peter to let go of of all of the stuff and to trust God's will for his life. Jesus is saying, Peter, if you love me, then you'll be concerned about what I love and about what's important to me, which is making disciples. And then look at verses 18 and 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old... You'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death uh, he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. What Jesus is doing here at the end of the story is he's exposing the heart of the problem for Peter. He says, Peter, you've been calling the shots. Peter, you've been calling the shots. Peter, You've been dressing yourself. Peter, you've been doing what you have wanted to do. And what Jesus is asking Peter to do here is to relinquish control of his life, to let go of the wheel, and to allow the Lord to lead and to guide him. So my question to you tonight is this. What are you holding on to? What will you not let go of that is keeping you from experiencing the full measure of His Holy Spirit through you to minister to others. What are you holding on to? What are you holding on to? Here's where this message came from. I've had two conversations in the last week. I was sitting with um, a counselor, not mine. Um, I'm I'm on a break from, I'm between counselors right now, okay? So just, anyway, Steve's doing a good job of diagnosing all of us on staff and, and through his internship. I'm not sure who's getting more out of this internship, the staff, because we know all of our issues, or Steve, because he's getting credit for exposing all of our issues, okay? So anyway, I was having a conversation with a counselor, and um, we were just catching up. And uh, I said, hey, how's your year been, right? I mean, that's kind of the newest, what do you think of the weather, right? Did you make it through COVID? How, how have things been? And he said, you know, he said, uh, he said, great. You know, we moved to Zoom, been counseling people through Zoom, all of that. So, you know, collared shirt on top, gym shorts on bottom. You know, it's been great, you know, right from the kitchen. <clears throat> and... Uh, and I said, yeah. I said, you know, how how things been? He said, I hear one common thread. And not guy's not a believer. He's not a Christian counselor. But he said, I hear one common thread throughout every person I talk to right now. Every single person is fight or flight. Every single person is at a point where they're fight or flight. Now, if you don't know what fight or flight is, right? Um, it, it's, it's, when, it's when you're at a place emotionally where the smallest things can can tip you off to where you're just ready to go to fisticuffs, right? To where you're just ready to throw down, right? Fight. And maybe you're not throwing down physically, but you're ready to throw down verbally, right? Or emotionally, right? And the smallest thing can just trip you up and throw you down. Like I'm seeing it everywhere. I'm seeing it on the basketball court. I'm seeing it on the softball field. I'm seeing it at Papa's ice cream. Let me tell you what Papa's ice cream has done in Standish, 
all through COVID, you went up the ramp, right, to order so that you could keep your distance, right? Before COVID, you could go up the stairs or the ramp, whichever, you know, you wanted to do, whichever floated your boat, okay? They've taken all the directional arrows off, and you don't have to go up the ramp anymore. But there are some people that have been trained very well over the last 18 months to go up the ramp. And so now, it's a free-for-all. And you've got people going up the stairs, you've got people going up the ramp, and you would think you alternate, kind of like you do coming off a roundabout in traffic, but then you've got those people, typically with Massachusetts plates, right, that pay no mind to the alternate, right? They're going, whether you like it or not, right? You see the same thing at Papa's. And so people are getting angry, and they're ready to fight on the Papa's ramp because these people are jumping them in line, when they're really not jumping them in line, they're just... They just don't know, right? They have everybody at Papa's has one focus. Get me ice cream as fast as possible, right? They're not paying any mind to the people around them, right? But everybody's in this fight or flight. So that's the fight side, right? The flight side is forget it. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. And, and, and talking to pastors, talking to friends, I was talking to a dear, my dear friend Tom Thompson down in Alabama. And he was sharing with me how all through COVID, they've been praying for this couple to come back to church, come back to church, come back to church, come back to church. And they finally felt comfortable. Went back to church about three weeks ago. They're in their 70s, this couple that Tom and his wife Glenda had been praying for. The husband has decided he's not coming back to church. Not coming back to church. The wife, coming back to church, she's excited, she's ready to be there. Husband's decided not to come back to church. And Tom, as I'm talking to him on the phone the other day, gets choked up over this guy who's not coming back to church because he's hurt by how the church handled some things through COVID. Because he's hurt, right? And because I think more than his hurt is he's gotten comfortable with not going to church on Sunday morning. He's gone back to his life pre-Sunday morning of pickleball and other things that have replaced Sunday morning church. Fight or flight. Fight or flight. And let's be honest, that may be present in some of us here tonight. Where we're more on edge. Where we're more willing to just, you know what, quit on things. Whether that be church, whether that be friendships, relationships, I mean, whatever the case may be, right? Where we're just, we're, we're just more okay with giving up. Where we're just more okay with distancing ourselves. We're just more okay with isolation. We're more okay with being alone. Fight or flight. Second conversation. Now, y'all remember the whole thing about the difference between weekend retreat and going back to occupation. Okay, remember that when I'm telling you this conversation. Okay, I had a conversation with a guy on Thursday morning, goes to another church, came to me because he just needed somebody to talk to. And he said, um, he said, I, you know, I'm running the, the outreach event for our church that we do every year, has gained a ton of traction, and, you know, it's time to start planning for it. Now, again, I'll add another detail for you. We're in June right? For a couple more days. This event's in December. So he called his old committee together, got them together, sat down and said, hey, time to start planning. 
for December, biggest outreach event of the year. And that whole committee had gotten together before this meeting and they looked at him and they said, hey, we're not going to do this event this year. It's not right. We're tired. And this guy's sitting up in my office last week, heartbroken because he'd given his heart and soul into this thing, right? He's excited about this thing. And now the people that were supposed to be holding his arms up, supposed to be carrying out this event with him. And so now he's trying to make it a community thing. And he's asking if someone will get involved because, because we're just crazy enough to do everything. Anyway, but that's beside the point. We'll talk about that in like October. Um, but, but, um, but, but, he, but he's just trying to go around drumming up support because he's got this passion for this thing. He's got this calling for this thing. But yet, but yet the people around him, he feels like you're giving up and just going back to fishing. And here's what he said to me in my office on Thursday that shifted the entire focus of this message for today. He said, Travis, I know a lot has happened over the last year and a half. He said, but I know two things for sure. God hasn't changed. And if God hasn't changed, his mission for the church hasn't changed. And so he looked at me. And he kind of put his hands like this. And he said, so what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? And when he said that, man, it just hit me. I'm not discounting any conversations or any trauma or anything that's happened. I mean, we've had people that we've lost over the last year and a half. I think of Herb Perry. I think of Ron Pease. I think of others, right, that we've lost. There's emotion around that. There's emotion around businesses struggling and failing and losing businesses. There's emotion around relationships, not being able to see people. Just heard about somebody that's going to see their family for the first time in 19 months this weekend, and they're so excited, and they can't wait to see their family. Like, I can't imagine that. I'm not discounting any of that. I'm not discounting any of that. But could it just be, could, could it just be possible that some of that is influencing our relationship with God in a way that is taking our eyes off of the person and work of Jesus to where we're just focused on our nets and what's familiar and what's comfortable? I mean, if we sat here and took a day, and I've, I've, I've thought about this, I've considered this, <clears throat> just kind of doing a town hall where we just sat around and if you could do it, if you could even do it, where there would be no judgment or criticism in the room, like that would be the first hurdle, obstacle, right? Where we just sat and we, and we just... We just did a mind dump. Kristen hates that term. But we just did, we just vomited. She hates that one even more. Um, but, but, but we just shared, right? All of the, the struggles and the, and, and, the, and the hurts and the things that we've gone through over the past 18 months. I'll tell you, I'd be the first one to break down and weep and probably have to walk out of the room. The conversations I've had with friends who told me, who, 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 have, who have shared with me in the past how much they cared for me and loved me. And even last night at dinner talking about, hey, we're just done. We're just done. We don't like the way you handled this. 
This stinks. So God, as I thought of Peter on Thursday, and as I thought about what does this have to do with discipleship? We need and it is the Lord moment. And listen, I'm not mad or upset. My kids tell me all the time, Daddy, you preach mad. <laughs> I'm broken. Because what do you do with Matthew 11 where Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The issue is not that we're tired. Everybody's tired. Kristen says to me yesterday, Lois, she, she looked at me and she said, I don't even know what a day would look like where I wasn't tired. And I'm like, all right, Vera's four. Maybe 40 years? Maybe when Vera's 40? Like, maybe? But then we'll have so many grandkids. We'll be chasing them. Or maybe. I don't know. I don't want to speak that right now, actually. <laughs> The issue is not that we're all tired. The issue is that we don't know how to rest. We're searching for rest in movie marathons. We're searching for rest in lazy couch days. We're searching for rest in, in date nights and eating out and, and all of these things. When for the Christian, all throughout Scripture, rest is defined as time with Jesus. That's Sabbath. That's Sabbath. Jesus' invitation to rest was what? Come to me. Come to me. And sure, Peter gets a bad rap, and I say all the time, before we give Peter a bad rap, let's consider the circumstances, right? But let's look at Peter. In this moment, he didn't know where to turn. He didn't know where to go. He went back to what was familiar. Right? He didn't have a group of people at 615 service on a Sunday night to tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, don't forget. Don't forget the miracle that God's done in your life. Don't forget the plans he has for you. 
Don't, don't forget that God is working some Habakkuk stuff in your life. That you wouldn't even believe it if he told you, if he laid it out for you. Stay the course. Sure, it looks hard. It doesn't make sense. Everybody's telling you, that, giving you permission to quit. Stay the course. It is the Lord. It's the Lord. And in a place of worship, the church where we ought to be able to come together and rip the mask off and say, I'm ready to fight somebody. Say, I'm ready to quit. I don't want to quit, but I'm ready to quit. Right? You ought to be able to come to us and say that. And listen, we'll put somebody in front of you to hit. If you need to fight somebody, we'll put Steve in front of you. He's the intern. He can take one for the team. If you really want a challenge, we'll put Matt in front of you. Right? Depending on your anger level. Right? But like, but listen, this is what the church is for. And yet so many of us are using any excuse we can to unplug and unplug and unplug and unplug and isolate and isolate and isolate. Can't tell you the number of conversations I've had over the last month with people, Pastor, I'm just not sure how much longer I can do it. I just feel so disconnected from church. Will you come five minutes after the service starts? I know. I just feel disconnected. And you leave before I'm even done praying at the end of the service. I know. And you're not plugged into a small group. I know, Pastor but I'm just not connected. Well, duh. <laughs> duh. Right? And again, I'm not being an angry pastor. I'm trying to be brother in Christ and shepherd and saying, I see a huge opportunity for the church to plug in and to engage into the mission and the commission that Jesus gave us, and yet the army is sitting around questioning whether we even want to fight, whether we even want to be here whether we even want to be a part of this anymore. And we remember what Jesus says about that to the church of Laodicea, right? And that's not a threat. I'm just saying, better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. It is the Lord. Jesus, in, in, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, come on, Dylan. Genesis, uh, Jesus in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. So listen, here, here, here's the heart. Here's the heart. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. You're tired? I get it. You're hurt? I'm with you. I have two meetings tomorrow that I don't want to show up for because they're all hurt. I get it. I'm hurting with you. But God's still God. And He still has a mission for His church. And I still want to do that. And I want to know that the people that I'm singing with and talking with and VBSing with and small grouping with, apparently I'm running on Thursday, 
you got to stop letting Kristen sign us up to do small groups. Are, are committed to the mission too. But it starts with us resting. Not running to the boat and avoiding and isolating. But coming to the shore and having breakfast with Jesus and being reminded of the call. So whatever the last 18 months has looked like or 18 years, come to me. All who are weary and heavy. And you'll find rest for your souls.